in Granada. My name is Ruth. Happy Easter. Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So when the perishable had been clothed, clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Thank you. Thank you, Ruth. Good morning. Hey, happy Easter to everybody. It's great to see you today. You know, the church has had a bit of a tradition. They, there has been this antiphonal rejoicing that goes like this. He is risen. Okay, we're almost awake this morning, right? We still have a little work to do. He is risen. You know, I think just to capture Easter is sort of like this amazing turn in a story. You can even hear it in the music, right? I mean, we're singing about how Jesus died and, and what all of that meant, the depth of that. And then all of a sudden, there's this turn in the resurrection. The music just explodes. Don't you love that in stories? Oh, uh, this dramatic shift takes place that nobody counted on that changes everything that's gone before. And one of the, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the Tolkien trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. And one of my favorite scenes comes from the, the two towers. If you've seen it, maybe you remember, you know, humanity is in danger. Evil under the direction of Sauron has, has gathered this orc army of tens of thousands. And so human beings take refuge in this place that's never been taken before. Before. It's always been safe, helms deep, right? It has these amazing impenetrable walls, or at least they think so. And they go there, and, and this incredible army comes against them, sent again to, to, to represent evil. And they're in such danger. Those walls are breached. They, they take deeper and deeper refuge in the mountain, hiding in caves. And at one point, a few of the leaders are like, if we're going to die, let's go down fighting. 
Let's not be hiding away. And they get on their horses and they're riding out. And you think the story is all over. And then on the hilltop outside of Helm's Deep, Gandalf the White arrives. And this light is shining. It's the, the sun coming up in the morning. And in that moment, everything changes, right? More for them than against them. And they have this incredible victory where they were expecting defeat. And this is the reality of Easter. We come to this moment where all of a sudden, because of Jesus, the story of our lives and our world, it all takes this dramatic shift. Would you pray together with me? Father, we so desperately need this. Lord, we become so cynical by our lives and by our world, by everything we hear and see. And, and Lord, it's like a, it's an infection. At first, we don't want to even think that it's there. And before long, it feels like it's taken over everything. We can feel like hope is gone. And so, Father, I pray that you will renew in us through Jesus today the reality of this hope that we have, that we might be able to live it and, and enjoy it. Lord, drive out the darkness with the light of Jesus. We pray in his name, amen. So simply at Easter, we celebrate Jesus's victory over death. But let me tell you, it didn't start that way. It didn't start like a victory. It started with death, Jesus bathed in blood on the cross. And you have to understand in their world, this is the most violent scene you would ever want to encounter. So much so that the Roman writers wouldn't write about it. Tasteful people would never speak about this in private. It was the worst fate imaginable. The stuff you have nightmares about and trauma that stays with you. Because what you could see is literally the dignity was completely stripped from a human being. They were broken down and destroyed. And if you wanted to know the terror of death, there was no better place. Oh, okay, I know what that's all about. And this is where the story began. It began in utter hopelessness with even Jesus from the cross crying out, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And Jesus died. And to make sure of this, because the Sabbath was soon to come and, and the bodies had to be taken down from the crosses, a Roman centurion walked along and thrust his spear right up under the rib cage of Jesus. So far up, it punctured his heart. And what rushed out was a combination of, of water and blood. And if you understand the symbolism, the symbolism of Roman power that stood at the temple to the god of war in Rome was that Roman spear. And so the picture was Jesus has been defeated. This power, this empire is greater than the power of Jesus. Now, of course, that evening as Jesus was taken down from the cross, there was a big hurry because night was falling, the, the Sabbath was coming. So a few women friends of Jesus took his body to a borrowed tomb and they began to wrap and prepare it. But the time ran out. They had to go home. And by the way, they knew the story was over. And then Sunday happened. By the way, they spent Saturday in grief like you would after the loss of somebody close to you. How would you feel? How would this hit you when you go home to the shock of this loss? But then Sunday came and the women got up early and gathered their supplies and they're heading off to the tomb. And by the way, there must still be tears in their eyes. For them, the story of Jesus is over. 
So they arrive to prepare Jesus' body to finish the work. But the stone is not in front of the tomb. And Jesus is alive. He greeted them in person. And over the next few hours, then he began speaking and appearing, revealing himself to his disciples. And over the next month, Jesus appeared to various groups of people on many occasions. This is what, what we're told in Scripture. He, Jesus, was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. In other words, you can go and talk to them. And you can ask them about this if you want to know. Though some of them have fallen asleep. Now the reality is this. The, the number and variety of appearances and the record of those appearances that were made. This is the best attested event in ancient history. That means we can trust that it happened. Now I know some folks have the idea of saying, well, hey, well, the, the idea of a resurrection just really is nice. I mean, we go to somebody's funeral, we want to hear them say, she's in a better place, right? So we, we should be okay with this. But you need to know the reality. They knew, and we do too, bodies don't rise. It's impossible for this to happen. It just never happens. And so what we have done is cultivated this sweet idea that, yeah, there's some kind of life that comes later and this hope, this wish fulfillment, right, that we would think this. And then over time, people have just sort of come to accept this. But let me tell you, the disciples, their attitudes and perspective changed the next day. They didn't have time to come to terms with this. They simply saw Jesus. And what we're told after the resurrection is that Jewish men who were not even allowed to speak the name of God because his name is so sacred, we're told they worshiped him. They fell before Jesus and they knew who he was. You see, they saw Jesus. They had meals with him. They touched his glorified body. They saw his scars. It wasn't a warm feeling that came over them that changed them and changed our world. You see, they, they were there when this happened. They shared the resurrection of Jesus, not as some, some symbolic new spiritual truth. It was shared with the world as a stubborn, terribly shocking, world-changing, but impossible to dismiss fact because they had been with him. And you know what facts are like, right? I mean, there's a fact, and, and you may not like it, but it's, it's just there, right? It's there. It, it happened. And so the question is always, well, what are you going to do with this fact, this truth? And that really is the question of Easter as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus today. What will you do with the resurrection of Jesus? Now, for us as followers of Jesus, this leads us to two big world-changing realities. First, Jesus has opened the way for us to have life after our natural death, for each one of us to have a life with him. And that means that those who have trusted in Christ will inherit eternal life, life beyond death. But there's a second part to that, and that is that the resurrection for followers of Jesus doesn't begin when we die. It begins now. We, we begin to live that new life in Jesus right now. 
Now here's where we're told what Jesus did. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Yes, it began, as we said, with his death. But, but why? We're told to cover our sin. Now, I know we don't use the word sin anymore. You don't hear that much. We don't use that word, but it means all that stands between us and God that separates us from him. And where does that come from? It's, it's our determination to live our life on our own, away from God, to pretend we do have life without him, to build our own identity in our lives, apart from the God who actually created us and the God who loves us. But the problem is there is no life apart from God. And this is why death has come into our world, because our sin has separated us from God. Now, maybe we don't see how death then begins to shape us. Everything in our lives are shaped by death. We cannot forget every day where death is taking us, sort of like an odor. You ever go into a room and it's filled with an odor, and at first you really smell it, but then after a while you've been in the room so long you don't smell it anymore, even though it's in your fabric, your clothing. And it's not until later when you go out and you're like, man, I smell like bacon, huh? bacon grease or whatever. You know, death is sort of like that. You know, we're not even aware of how it asserts its power over us day in and day out. Every human activity takes place in the shadow of death. Again, it doesn't let us forget where we're headed in life. And this fear haunts our, our lives. It controls our lives. And by the way, this is why we don't talk about it. We may whisper about death, well, we don't really talk about it. And by the way, it's why we hide it away in hospital rooms and as far away from us as we possibly can. We do anything to defeat it. And by the way, death is, hear this clearly, is the source of our shamed-based fear of being ordinary. Why do you think we're so afraid of that? Why are we so afraid that, that our lives might not count, that there might not be anything that's left, that we don't leave any mark? And so we have to do something heroic. We have to challenge life, right? We have to prove that, that we're living and our life is going on. I, I love stories of how this is seen. There's this uh, university in London. It's actually called University College of London. You'll see a picture of it here. It's beautiful. But one of the founders is that, that college was being found, founded a couple of hundred years ago. He wanted to give an endowment, but he said, look, I'm gonna give an endowment, but here's the thing that has to happen. I need to be at the, college, the university council meetings. Now that's pretty hard when you're dead. How are you gonna pull that off, right? And so they wanted the endowment, what are you gonna do? So indeed, he's there at all the council meetings. You'll see a picture of him here. We have that photograph. There we go, do you see him on the right there with the hat? That's Jeremy Bentham. And so when the council has the meetings, they bring in the dead guy and they put him over in the corner. And you know what they record in their minutes? It says, present but not voting. <laughs> present but not voting. And you're like, that's being present, really? Come on, there's bones left. They put it together. And by the way, they need a new wardrobe for this guy. You know, he's, he's living it, he, he, he's dead. But everything in our lives is being controlled by this fear, driven by this fear of death. We need to prove that we matter. And it lies at the bottom of all of our sin our self-protective strategy, our envy of others and their lives, our inability to love because to love is to risk. And if you risk like that, 
you're going to feel vulnerable because you can be hurt. So this is why Jesus had to defeat death to free us from death's power. But indeed, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So this is the beginning of our new life in Christ. Jesus has been raised up. You have, if you've trusted in him, life after death. So how can Jesus promise this in his resurrection? He made an exchange of his life with yours. He died in your place so that you could have life. And his resurrection is the confirmation of this promise that our sin died with Jesus, that we're forgiven by God, that God loves us. There's nothing between us anymore and that we will be raised up. And so as Ruth read to us a few minutes ago, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Now I'm not sure how, how we see the power of this promise proved in the resurrection. Uh, as a pastor, I, I, I'm around death a lot, but there was like one scene that I was invited in years ago I never really told anybody about. And I think it was just because it was so painful, I shared it with my discipleship group a couple of weeks ago. When I was a young pastor serving in New Jersey, I got a call one time from one of the people in our church and he said, would you visit this couple? They have a little boy, he's about one, years old, one year old, he's dying of leukemia. So I went and met this couple and I prayed with this couple. I got to know this couple. And a few weeks passed by when I got a call from them again and they told me that he had been in the hospital and at, one, the, at a point came and the doctor said, we cannot do anything for your son. And they so much wanted him to be home. They took him home for the last day of his life and, and he had died. And they called me on the phone and what they said was the funeral directors coming over tomorrow morning but we don't know them and we don't feel like we can put our precious son into the arms of somebody that we don't know. Would you come to our house and we will, we, will, we will hand our little boy over to you and then you can go out to the street where they arrive and you can put, put our son into the hands of the funeral director. So I remember arriving at their house and it's like really how, why, why should anybody ha, have to do anything like this? And, and this couple emerged from the door and they had their precious little boy and he was wrapped, he was wrapped in a receiving blanket, you know, the, like the kind you would bring your baby first home from, from the hospital and, and seeing the grief in their faces and the loss, they handed their little boy to me. And let me tell you, that walk across their small front yard is one of the longest walks I've ever taken in my life. And I remember resting that little boy in, and again, a man's arms I didn't know either. And I was just drenched in tears. But you know what I also was? I was furious. I was so furious that, that death could take life from this little boy, their only child. I was there and I was so angry. And let me tell you, I'm at those places so many times. I, I'm there with parents seeking comfort with their lost child. And when spouses have lost a loving mate, they've, they've walked with for decades. I have anger in those moments like you can't imagine over the power of death to strip life away from us. By the way, if this was a part of our design, we wouldn't be troubled with it. We would have figured it out and gotten along with life without worrying about it. But we know it's not a part of God's plan for us. But in all of that, let me tell you, you know who's the most angry about death? 
It's Jesus. When his friend Lazarus dies, I think John has a hard time telling us about it. In John 11, he literally talks about Jesus snorting with anger. He is so furious that death has taken one of his best friends. And you see, he's so angry that death would rob people he loves of life that he has gone to, take, to strip death of its power. And that's the good news of Easter, that Jesus didn't stay away from death. He, he confronted it. I know that death that seems so final, but Jesus has blown the doors off of it in his resurrection. Here's Paul again. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This means however broken you may feel, however hopeless things look to you, however lost, God has found you and he's found me. This means that we've not lost those that we love that are in Christ. We could never be lost to each other. This means that even our losses are going to be restored. As Tolkien put in one of his books, he said, even the sad things are going to come untrue. It also means that you're no longer in your sin. That doesn't stand against you. Whatever is in your story that has cut you off from God has now been taken by Jesus. John puts it as simply as this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And all of this comes to all who look to Jesus by faith. It's all of grace. That means you can't be good enough to gain it. You can't fix your life or repair your story enough to merit it. You can't turn your life enough around to deserve it. What Jesus does, he does apart from any deserving on your part or on mine. So if you feel undeserving, there's a whole world of us. Join the club. But he did this even without us asking. We didn't ask him to do this. It means that those who trust in Jesus have a place with God Forever, It can never be taken away. It means you have life. You don't have to wonder what will happen to you when you close your eyes for the last time. You don't have to fear what comes next. You're secure in Christ. Or as David said, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But you know that's only half the story? That's only half the story. You see, Easter is not only about what happens when we die. The death of Jesus opened the way to a whole new world, a completely different way to live. You see, we hear about life after death, but here is life before life after death. You see, Jesus' goal is not just to get you in heaven, into his presence. His purpose is to get heaven and his kingdom into you. And I think sadly, we've, we've uh, diminished Easter. We've talked about, hey, it's for the future, sometime in the future. It's not for today. And we ask this question, if you should die tonight or today, do you know that you, if you, will, that you will be with God for eternity? I hope you can answer that question, yes, with confidence. If you can, I'd love to have an opportunity to speak with you about how you can. Knowing and trusting in Christ opens the way to life. And you say, well, I can't get there on my, my own. 
Of course you can't. None of us can. But by faith in Jesus, I have life. John put it as simply as this. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And this is true. Christ is our life. But you know that this life with him doesn't begin when you die. It begins as soon as you come to him, when you receive Christ by faith. Here's how it's explained to us. We were therefore buried with him. In other words, we died with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. A new life. We have that now in Jesus. And you say, okay, well, what does that look like? How does that work? Here's our theme passage for this week of Easter this year. Since the children, that's you and me, have flesh and blood, he too, that's Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You see, that fear of our death has just kept us in bondage, afraid to fully live and, and fully love and feeling like we're competing with each other and worried about our, our future. And what we learn here is that we have our new life in Christ, these fears fall away. Do you know that Jesus feared nothing and no one? He had no worries. He was never defensive. He never, had to, he never fought to protect his identity. Instead, he located his identity in the Father. And the result was a, a beautiful freedom. He had nothing to prove, no record to build. He had no reputation to protect. He never pretended to be somebody he wasn't. And why do you think we do these things? You see, our identities, we feel like our very lives are at stake. And so we're drawn into these things. There was nothing to protect for Jesus since his identity was in God. So Paul says it like this. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? You know, that's what he's doing, right? He's, he's mocking death. He's saying, death, you can't do anything to me. I'm united with Christ. I have life. Nothing can, can take that away from me. By the way, in, in destroying death, Jesus took your power. You're, you're not going to run my life. I know you want to drive things. You want to control what I do and how I love. But you don't have the, the right to do that. And you see, Paul's not talking about after his death. He's talking about here and now. He says death has been swallowed up in the victory of Jesus. And everything now begins to look different. And it's all reinterpreted in the light of this thing Jesus has done. It's recast by the resurrection of Jesus. I don't know, there's a movie I saw a number of years ago. It's like 25 years old now. If you haven't seen it, I'm gonna spoil it for you. But go see it anyway, okay? It's called Sixth Sense. And it stars Bruce Willis. You'll see him there. He plays a child psychologist whose name is Malcolm Crow. And by the way, you have to see the music. You can cover his ears in a few moments, Edson. Um, you have to see the movie twice. And the reason is because you watch this whole movie and uh, this child psychologist trying to help this kid who struggles because he, you know, he thinks he sees dead people and so on. And then you get to the movie and it's a scene that comes, you realize this guy, this, this character 
who's played by Bruce Willis, Malcolm Crowe, he's been dead the whole time, for goodness sakes. And so you begin to reinterpret the whole movie. You go back through and you're like, oh my goodness, he had that meeting with that woman. And that's right, she never really looked right at him. It's like she looked past him. And you realize people never really talked with him. He never touched anybody. Nobody ever really touched him. And all of a sudden, everything in the whole story is recast by this new truth. And this is the reality of what the resurrection does, but in reverse. You see, Jesus was going all about his ministry, and his disciples are like, man, if he does this, the leaders are going to be after him. They're going to kill him. we got to protect him. And wow, if he, if he loves like this without abandon, he's going to be in trouble. He'll be vulnerable. He's going to be hurt. He's going to be killed. And at each step of the way, we see this as we're going with Jesus. But then the resurrection happened. They couldn't touch him. Nothing they could do could take away the glory of Jesus. It's the most beautiful thing ever. This is what we're told in 1 Corinthians. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And you see, this is meant to happen in your life too. The life that you've lived in one way in fear, now you go back and you're like, why am I doing that? And what begins to happen is old things that mattered to you fall away and God begins to give you a new life that's, that's completely different. It's based on the fact that you're free. And so I've asked, what would it mean if your life was reframed by the truth that you have life with Christ? It can never be taken away. How might you love other people? How might you rest in God? How might you not be afraid as you're going about your lives? What might happen if you began to live in this freedom so first, our life is reframed by the resurrection, and everything looks different from our God-given place of security. Our insecurities melt like snow melts in the springtime or like fog lifts when the sun comes out and, and burns it away. Now, here's how this long chapter in 1 Corinthians ends. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now you hear what that said? It doesn't say, hey, now that you know this, get ready for heaven. Get ready for after you die. He says, no, it's right now as you're living. He says, think about, it's not with your death, but now you're caught up in the purposes of God and you can live your new life starting right now and the way that you love others, and the way you serve in your community, and the way you bring hope into this world that's so desperate and filled with darkness. To see the resurrection, this resurrection life, come into our world. You see, we can say this because we know we're free and nothing can touch us. And by the way, we stand firm because we know that Jesus is alive. Nothing can move us. And that's the sign we've come to believe in the resurrection of the dead. Do you believe Jesus has been raised? We begin to live it here and now. A story that touched one of our communities in Florida a couple of years ago, a really powerful story for me, happened on March 9th, 2021 in the Tampa Bay area. It was in the wee hours, like two in the morning, when this guy you see um, uh, heard a call. He's a police officer, Jesse Madsen. He happened to be nearby when there was a call that came in that said, there's a guy who's driving south 
in the northbound lanes on 275. And somebody was going to get killed. It was a drunk driver. And this guy was just barreling down the interstate. It's like one or two in the morning. And this officer heard that. And as he could look down the interstate where he was, he saw this car, I mean truck, pickup truck, barreling down the road. And you know what this officer did? He knew that somebody was going to be killed if this guy wasn't stopped. So literally, he pulled his own vehicle. The only way to stop this guy was to pull his vehicle right in front of the speeding vehicle to prevent the collision. And in the process, as a result of this, he was actually hit. And this officer, he died. He left behind. By the way, this is like the ultimate sacrifice, right? Right? And as they came to realize exactly what he had done, it sort of moved this city. The city was like, wow, here's this guy. He didn't know these people he was going to save, but he took responsibility and he got out in front of the danger and it took his life. He left behind his wife and three children. You see a picture of them here. And as I said, the whole city sort of took notice of this sacrifice to save other people. When his funeral happened... Over 5,000 people showed up. They didn't know what to do with all the people who came. The city was so moved by what took place. Not long after that, one of the people who was saved, they found who those people were who were driving the car because they stopped because of the, the, the wreck. And one of the first people that would have been killed is this woman named Euralise Ruiz. You'll see a picture of her. She was in, in, interviewed because of her experience when she realized that this guy had inserted himself at the cost of his own life to save her, this is what she said. I want the world to know how amazing he was. I just want to keep his name alive. I want the whole world to know what he did. You know, she didn't know him, but she knew that he saved her life. And she's like, I want everybody to know about this. I, I listened to this and I'm like... Do, do we get the resurrection? We get what Jesus has done for us? Because I think the other side of that is saying, wow, I want everybody to know about this. I, I want them to know about the freedom from death and the fear of death and, and the life that we're promised in him. It made me look beyond that officer and wonder if we see what this is all about, the story that we're in, and if we have the same motivation to, to share the love of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the forgiveness and freedom and the sacrifice he made. So it's Easter. What are you going to do with the fact of the resurrection? Is your life still being driven by the fear of death? Will you live in confidence that you will be raised up with Christ? Because if you have faith in him, indeed you will. And will you begin living your new life now? Asking yourself, why am I afraid? What is holding me back? Why am I so protective? Why do I have to battle against other? Where is all this coming from? And embracing the freedom that Christ has given to you. Would you pray together with me? Father, it's Easter, and we could come and love the music. I do, Lord. And the beauty of the clothes that remind us life is stronger than death. And we can also, Lord, we know in Jesus, live a whole new life because Jesus is alive and we also live with him. And so I pray that you'll teach us how to do that, Father. I pray that you would show us how our lives have been trimmed back because of fear. We've been limited. And Lord, we walk around clinging to these fears, thinking 
that somehow we can save ourselves or protect ourselves when only Jesus can save us. And so I pray, Father, that the light and truth and joy of the resurrection would give us, would issue in for us a whole new life. That because Jesus lives, we also will live. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing? Amen.